Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. episode of Garden DC. We're joined by Louisa Zimmerman Roberts of Thanksgiving Farms in Adamstown, Maryland. Welcome, Louisa. Hi, it's good to be here today. Great to have you. And Louisa is a house plant and indoor plant, I'm going to say indoor jungle specialist. <laughs> uh, her Thanksgiving farm has a wonderful selection of plants, and we'll dive into all of that in a few minutes. But first, we're going to talk about you, Louisa, and maybe some of your background of Thanksgiving farm and all the different offerings there, aside from houseplants, before we dive into all things indoor gardening. Okay. Um, well, my name is Louisa Zimmerman Roberts. I, we, our Thanksgiving farm started as a produce business. Um, my mother was one of the first women to receive a business loan as a minority in the 70s. And that's why our name is called Thanksgiving Farms, because she was very, very thankful that she um, received the loan. Uh, we started about a mile away on one farm, and then we moved to the farm that we're currently on in 1979. We got into the greenhouse because we wanted to grow our own uh, starter plants for out in the field, and really it just blossomed from there. Next thing you know, we put up one, we put up two, and now we have 40 greenhouses, and um, we're mostly a garden center now. We do still have our 57-acre produce farm where we have a CSA, which is a community-supported agricultural um, you can buy into it. It's a share. We actually just started our fall extension today. We have a summer, a fall, and then we have an extension of an extension, which is our winter. And um, a few years ago, because you can never have your eggs all in one basket, we, my husband um, wanted to start a brewery. We went back and forth for a few years because I was honestly, he was home with the kids on the weekends and I would be giving up a clean house and home cooked meals. So we went back and forth for a while <laughs> and I allowed him to do a brewery. And if he was going to open up a brewery, it was going to be on the farm. And that took a few years, but I am happy to say we now have Mad Science Brewing at Thanksgiving Farm. And I am so proud of him. Um, it's only open on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 5. And he has quite the turnout. I am very, very proud. So on in one location, you have two businesses. You have Thanksgiving Farms and then you have the brewery. And then on the weekends, we also bring in food trucks, which is always fun, and uh, live music occasionally. We will have music Saturday and Sunday. You would just have to check our um, Facebook page. But I started, we started um, in the produce business and uh, we did farmer's markets four to five days a week. And that was a lot of work um, going back and forth. Most of our markets were in the DC area. I don't know if you were are familiar with the, uh, the um, RFK market. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was our big one. We did that one for a long time until it actually got too dangerous to go. And then we did the ones in Baltimore, the bigger markets, um, until we just 
we wanted to reduce our carbon footprint and get our big trucks off of the roads. So that's why we started the CSA about, I, I want to say almost 10 years ago. And we now have over 200 members. So we're no longer doing farmers markets. Everything is strictly based out of our address here. It's just all here, which is the garden center um, where I grow all of our plants, I, I guess I should mention that in our greenhouses, and I don't use chemicals, I do use a fertilizer. And as you probably guessed by trying to set up this podcast, we are very, very old fashioned here. <laughs> like my orders are still in a notebook. That is how oh, wow. old fashioned. I'm actually using this computer for the very first time for this podcast. <laughs> So thank you. But we're going to drag you into the 21st century. Oh, (laughs) regardless of how much a bite I put up. (laughs) But yeah, the important thing is, is those plants and uh, all we care about is those. So the technology behind them is, is lesser importance. Yeah, we actually draw, I I do a, because I can grow the stuff here and I do a lot of my own cuttings and a lot of propagation myself that we have an electric um, array of of plants. I like more the odd and unusual. So our clientele actually does draw from DC, Baltimore, and Northern Virginia. And it wasn't until um, the pandemic when like local cities and stuff were putting together these Facebook pages that people in Frederick even knew we were here. So now we like doubled our demographic these last two years. And um, so it's been a whirlwind of two years. That's great. And for those who are outside the D.C. area, let's um, explain kind of where you're positioned. So you're north of D.C., a little, um, is it to the west or south of Frederick, Maryland? I'm not sure. I know you can take 270 or 28 up from D.C. We're about an hour from D.C. And um, you go towards Frederick. And then once in Frederick, you take the exit for Buckystown, the southern exit Mm -hmm. um, for Route 85. Or you can come up 28. And the other thing that's in your neighborhood, so to speak, is Lily Ponds Water Gardens. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. If you're ever doing one, do the other. Do both in one trip. Did you know our farm was the original Lily Ponds? No, I didn't know that. It was. The original, it was called Three Springs Farms. And we actually have the um, original spring across the street where they worked out of. It was originally part of our farm. When my parents moved in, they bought the spring house across the street. And then a few years ago, we bought the house. So now our farm is back into the original. But Agnes came through, I want to say in the late 70s, and destroyed all of the ponds on our farm. So they moved to their current location. Yeah, and we're just like three miles from Lily Ponds. So definitely, if you go there, you should come here too. (laughs) Yeah, and vice versa. Yeah, make it a whole, whole day. Uh, trip out there and of course take advantage of the food trucks and the and the mad science brewing to hang out a little oh, yeah. bit the weekends are always fun and um the food trucks in mad science is open all all the way and we're open all the way until december 24th so oh that's great to hear and i was gonna say that you have other family members that help you in the business and i know you have a few kids that are looking to join the business. Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? We can. Um, Like I said, we grew up on this farm. My parents, uh, they moved to this farm in 1979. And we, I have two older sisters, which are my natural sisters. And then my parents adopted five Koreans. um, I have five Korean siblings, but they decided to take other 
courses in life and we're very proud of them. Darby and I are pretty much the only ones. Darby is the oldest. Um, and then there's Melanie and then there's myself and then Shannon, Susanna, Austin and Trelawney and um, Joshua passed away in infancy. But um, out of all of us, Darby and I are here every day. Melanie is not a full-time employee, but she does still help out here. And the other kids, I call them kids because there's such an age difference between us. Um, they went on to become awesome. One is stockbroker. One works as an air traffic controller up at JFK. Um, the baby, Trelawney, is a doctor. And then one is a stay-at-home mom. So we're really proud of them, too. But they just didn't have any desire to stay. <laughs> or they couldn't run fast enough. <laughs> or I couldn't run fast enough. <laughs> Laughing that the baby is the doctor, not not a baby anymore. <laughs> no, he's not. He will always be the baby. I put him yeah. on the bus, and it's uh-huh. just that there's 13 years between us, so he's the baby. And so your own children were brought up in the business. Are any of them looking to join in? Yeah, they. I started bringing them when they were three weeks old, and my oldest is in college. He will be 20 in December, but I think. He has a love of the garden center part, but he's pursuing a career in biology right now. So I, I want to give them all the option. They must get their education. And if they choose to come back, they can come back. If they don't want to, that's fine too. And then Skylar, he is 17. He'll be 18 in November. And he is in love with farming. He loves the, the field part of it. And, um, he doesn't know what he wants to do. He's a senior this year, so he'll probably go to a local uh, community college and still continue to work here. And then Oak is 14, and we're not sure what they want to do yet, but they are, they're my husband's sidekick. They're here at the brewery every weekend. They do check hmm. out. Um, they run the kegs. They know all, a 14-year-old knowing all about beers is kind of funny, <laughs> but there's always opportunity. I would be tickled pink if they came back, but it's really up to them. Hmm. Well, nice to know that there's probably a future there and that they're so involved right now. And my kids would be the only kids because uh, Darby and Melanie, they didn't have any children. Mm-hmm. So time will tell, you know. Mm-hmm. And aside from being a family business and uh, the farm and things. I know you were just doing cutting gardens uh, for fundraising. Can you talk about those cut flowers a little bit? Um, yes, I have a cut flower program out in the field. I have, um, I grow like 20 different varieties of cut flowers and every, I pick them Tuesday and Wednesday and then I like to cool them in the walk-in box and then we have them for sale Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And I used to sell them for $10 a bunch, but once the pandemic hit, we realized, you know what, people need an uplifting thing. They need something. So we, we slashed the price to $5 and we decided that because the pandemic was so good to us that we need to give back more. So every weekend, we do fundraisers with the flowers and depending on how many flowers I can pick, it's between 500 and a thousand dollars each week that we give to uh, local charities. A big one is a smile train that I like to give to because my middle son was born with cleft lip, cleft palate. We do a huge one for December. Um, that's not the cut flowers, but that's a different, um, we, we grow a lot of greenery here. So we do a huge one for a children's hospital because we spend a lot of time, down there with him 
And then this weekend we're doing Special Olympics because Oak um, was part of the Unified Tennis team this year, which you're paired up with um, a child from the Special Olympics. And it was just really, I had no idea. And we went to the, it was just really, really got me. So I'm like, okay, this weekend, our final weekend, we're going to give to them. So every weekend we just give the money back to a charity. And um, it's nice because it's good to, to give back. People have been so generous to us over the years and come out to support us that we just feel it's, you need to give back. So that's why we do the cut flowers now. Mm-hmm. And that's so wonderful. And I know this Halloween weekend, as we're recording this, that this is the last weekend for the cut flowers benefit. I can't believe we're already into November and we haven't had a frost yet, but the flowers are done. They're tuckered out. Yeah. They're a little tired after this. Point. <laughs> they are. I'm tired too. I'm like, I don't want to pick them again. Yeah. I was going to say tired as we are, but that, that does turn us to indoor gardening. And when that yes. heavy frost or real freeze actually hits us, uh, many of us gardeners turn to our indoor gardens for, for solace and for greenery and to enjoy. And of course, there are some of us who are just indoor gardening all year long because uh, that's the space we have to garden. So let's uh, start uh, sharing some houseplant favorites, some houseplant tips. And the first question I was going to ask you, Louisa, is if you're a baby houseplant parent, you're just starting into it and you don't know what you want to grow, what's the first thing I should be looking at? The sunlight in my windowsills or what, or what could I grow? The first thing you want to do is... Um... Find out where in your house you want to put the plant. And it's always best if you have a sunny uh, facing window. And then monitor the sunlight that you actually get. And then once you know that you can come into the, come here or go to your local uh, garden center or plant store and talk, really talk with the people who work there because that's our job. We, We want to give back. You know, we want to tell want to help you. We don't want to make you fail. And I always start people off with um, one of the easiest ones are like the ZZ plant, um, Sensevarias, also known as snake plant. Peperomias are super easy. Uh, Pathos and philodendron, which give you that awesome jungle look. And then you have to go and it really is a one-on-one you and the customer to walk around and realize what they like because, you know, different textures and stuff like that. But I do start them with the easy one, especially like spider plant. And just because you don't want to set them up for failure. You really need mm-hmm. to get all of that information from them and how dedicated they, they are because this is a living thing. And um, But we start you off right with the easy ones. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, pothos and spider plant because those are plants for the overwaterers like myself. Like I can't help giving plants too much water versus the other end of the spectrum like Sansevieria and the ZZ plant might be like to be a little more on the dry side. Oh yeah, they like the dry side. They're best for shit if you have like darker low light areas and you're not mm-hmm. put those in rooms that you don't frequent very often and just in case you do forget. But they're super easy. There's there's a plan for everybody right now. Yeah, and do you have tips for overwaterers like myself? Like water for water. <laughs> I was gonna say put coffee filters or something in there to soak up the extra water. <laughs> um, basically, I would suggest getting a notebook or and getting a schedule down. And because everybody's household is different, I could tell you 
that one plant doesn't need any water, but then you take it home and you put it underneath a heating vent. You really, really, really need to pay attention to these plants and where you put them and where you place them. Because we set you up, but it, it, it does rely on you're, you're the new owner. You're the new plant mm-hmm. mama or daddy. So you really need to look and pay attention until you find out what's going on. And we do suggest always buying plants that have, a, I mean, pots that have a hole in them if you are in overwater and setting them like on a, you know, so that they can drain out correctly and not sit in the water. Mm-hmm. But basically you have to pay attention and, and really look and see because these are living things. Mm-hmm. And that's a great point that, you know, all of our plants in our household, depending on uh, how dry you keep your house, how warm you keep it. Yeah, everybody has a different. It's all different. And if you're having your plants, say, at your office, your place of work, that you can yes. be very drafty with doors opening and closing. And you're not going to be there on the weekends, so you need to have plants that are, are hardier. But make a list know what you want, where you're going to put it, what the thing is. And we will hook you up with a plant because we want you because the growing plants is amazing. It's very satisfying. They've actually done studies that it improves your mood. It re- especially in your office, it re- reduces fatigue. Um, it eases dry skin because it takes everything out. You know, it releases moisture into the air and stress. It's a great stress reducer. We do suggest getting some plants because it really, and it's helped so many people during this pandemic. I cannot even stress how much people have, uh, they're actually calling them, I read, air purifying pets. They are your, they're no longer plants or, or foliage. They're, they're your air purifying pets. So you need, it's, it's just cool. Yep. So it's like your green babies, your yes. green petable. And some are more petable than others, like I love African violets, like the whole Gisneriad family. Oh, they're beautiful. Oh, have you seen those Russian African violets? No, tell me about those. Oh, they're like unusual colors. I think it's actually, if you Google Russian African violets, there's a person, we were going to invite them here right before the pandemic hit, and then we just couldn't do it anymore. And um, just look it up. It's just really cool. Just different colors, doubles, um, variegated foliage, just very, very cool. Yeah, I have some double flowering and pink and streaked flowers, but in general, the foliage is, you know, the straight green. So it'd be interesting to see variegated foliage on a, yeah. on a violet. And, you know, aside from that, I also love the streptocarpus um, and streptocarpus. And I was going to say another Gisneriad that I, I love is those just, they're just full of flowers all the time. They're always sending up flowers. That is one of the trends of 2022 is to have flowering um, houseplants. So we're going to have to get on that bandwagon and start looking because most of the houseplants we grow now are just for the foliage and textures and stuff like that. Because once you introduce those flowers, that's a whole nother ball game right there. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say that there's one, um, I guess the common name is like purple love plant. It has those purple fuzzy leaves. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, I can't. Purple passion, yes, and it Purple has that, that it has the yellow flowers, but it stinks. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Is flowers aren't always the best thing on house plants no, because I always stink. snip off the flowers because they're kind of like a orangey yellow marigold kind of looking thing. They can get rather dirty too. Mm. I'll be honest. I'm not a flower gal. I am a foliage and texture, even in my own garden outside. 
flowers come secondary because it needs, I think a plant needs to stand alone on its foliage and its texture because you don't have flowers all the time. So that's my two, two cents mm-hmm. on that. And, and I'm always surprised too by some of the houseplants that do flower that I wasn't expecting a flower on, like Calathea. Yes, yes. I actually had a um, Jacina that recently, it's probably 10 years old and it just put up a bloom and I'm like, oh my gosh. But probably the easiest one that to grow that if you want flowers would be the Hoya. The Hoyas are beautiful, beautiful flowers and they give you that elegant, drapey, shiny leaf and it gives you, it's pretty much gives you everything, it gives you the jungle vibe. There's different leaf textures it's variegated plain but those flowers man those flowers are gorgeous and they're long lasting they kind of have like that that waxy look to them yeah yeah they're beautiful and so exotic i would i i one actually we sell a lot of hoyas and one bloomed in a hanging basket and it just like made my week i was just like ah because you feel (laughs) like a queen or a goddess when you get one of these things to bloom (laughs) you're like i did something right so even for for a professional grower, the the excitement is still there. <laughs> and I was going to ask for flowering houseplants. Do you uh, recommend any fertilizer to add, or um, how would you encourage that flowering? Um, actually, they're each so varied, and with Google being right at everybody's fingertips, I would suggest researching because a lot of these plants are a big investment, and we can't actually see the plant. We don't know. How, when was the last time it was fertilized? So it's best just to check Google and stuff like that. I know when I get my plants, a lot of my plants, I will pot up and put it in a container and already fertilize it. So this will free you like six months. So it's just an easy grab and go for my own personal customers. But, and I like Osmocote. I like the slow release fertilizer. So it doesn't, um, so it gets a little bit at a, a, a time instead of, because sometimes you can burn a plant with fertilizer, depending on the plant. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, that too much fertilizer is not a good thing. And like we're going into fall right now, and some plants, they go semi-dormant in the wintertime and fall, and they don't want fertilizer. So you really have to research your plant and know when to fertilize it and when not. And like some plants, they prefer to be root bound, like the palms and the uh, Diffenbachias and the Aglaonemas, they prefer to be root bound. And so you really need to research each plant. You can call us or you can tell us, but it's not a one size fits all. Yeah, there's, it, it's such a wide world of plants out there. Yeah. And that does bring up the repotting question. So I see so many indoor gardening influencers and experts saying to repot your plants every two to three years, but I'm thinking that's a little bit much for for most house plants. And you were just saying that a few prefer to be ha- uh, pot bound. So it does. They yeah. do. Um, you really have to. It goes back to researching. I mean, if like sense of areas, they'll let you know when they need to be repotted because they'll break your pot. <laughs> <laughs> they'll grow right out the that's, roots. That's a good indication. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. And and you can pretty much tell, you know, you know that you fertilized it and it's still getting yellow leaves and you have to water it like every three minutes. Yes, then it needs to be potted up. But I would only suggest going an inch or two. Um, two you pot it up too big. And then if it's a plant that's um, prone to root rot, you can rot the roots because it doesn't dry fast enough. So, but if you stick with the easy ones like spider plant and 
uh, ZZ plant, peperomias, you can't go wrong, um, Diffenbachias, Sigoniums, which I think now has a new name. It starts with an N, N-E-P, something like that. The butterfly plant, you know what I'm talking about, the Sigonium? Mm-hmm. They're so easy to grow. It, it all depends. <laughs> I'm going on a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. Well, I guess we can talk about individual categories of plants. So for maybe the small succulents, the little collector succulents, um, when you pot that up, you'd want a different potting mix, right, than most of, say, the tropical plants. Um, yeah, what we sell, you want the cactus mix, something that's with more perlite and vermiculite and stuff like that, just so that it drains easier. Keep those in a smaller size pot also because they're prone to root rot. And it, well, it depends on which ones. But a lot of those little tiny ones, you can grow them big, but they're so reasonably priced that I wouldn't put too much stress into it. I think we sell ours for $3.99, you know, the little minis that you set on your countertop. You know, just enjoy them. And and if they don't do good, eh, you can toss them. It's not a big investment. But if you're investing money, like some of these plants are going for thousands of dollars. (laughs) Yeah, that does bring up the whole collector's craze for certain plants. What are your most in-demand or rare plants that people come in and ask for? Uh, what do they ask for? They, everybody wants uh, Pink Princess Philodendron, and everybody wants Thai Constellation, and you know the Alba, the Variegated Mon- uh, Monstera. I don't sell any of those. I am too frugal to do that on something that can can die, and it and it is just a fad right now. I think houseplants should bring you joy. Houseplants should not make you nervous and and, and 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 on edge if you're going to keep it alive. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I spent $1,000 on a Monstera cutting, uh, yeah, I would be staring at that 24-7. <laughs> yeah, and I just refuse to get on board on that. I think houseplants should, should be fun. They should give you something in return. Uh, I just, plus I can't get them, if <laughs> I'm being honest. I don't have any access to get them. They're so rare. Like they're still, um, like I go to my wholesaler and there's still limits on how much I can buy. I can get three of this, two of that, and and that's it because the, the demand has been so high. But I do have some unusuals every now and then, like different Hoyas um, are popular, different Aglaonemas are popular. Right now, the uh, the stuff on the the poles are really popular. I can't even pronounce it. it starts with a D. See, I'm I'm so old fashioned. I really didn't know much about houseplants until I jumped headfirst into it about when it started about a year ago, two years ago. I don't know. We've been in such a whirlwind these past years. <laughs> and it's interesting what you say that the wholesaler is limiting. Uh, what you can get. So that's definitely um, limiting the market, but there's only so much you can propagate because plants grow at a certain rate. Yeah, I thought I could propagate my own and it literally takes a year from from taking a cutting on something to actually being saleable. It takes a year and that's a lot of time to invest, especially on something, especially when you have a business and you have to calculate that you're watering it and caring for it and all the man hours that you have invested in this plant that is just cheaper just to buy it and and just say we don't have these varieties because if you want them you can find them um etsy and the internet will send you a leaf or two happily 
but I, I, I guess I'm just too old fashioned. I can't get behind that. Hmm. And so for maybe a house plant that would make a great gift around the holidays, are there a few that you recommend? Um, around the holidays, well, you could do a poinsettia, which is really nice. My husband is refusing to throw ours away from last year. They're still on the kitchen counter. I guess he friended them during working from home. They're all his now, (laughs) but, um, definitely a cyclamen because those are so beautiful. Uh, and they bloom until like Easter and then they go semi-dormant, but it's, that's another easy one. Um, Paperweights are really nice to give as a gift because they they smell so nice. And definitely amaryllis bulbs. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. We have so many. They come out with so many neat ones, the doubles and the exotic colors and the different um, leaf shapes. Definitely give one of those. Those are beautiful. Yeah, I love those. Yeah. So any of those would be nice. Or if they're um, into cooking, you could give a topiary of rosemary or lavender. Lots of things that you can give around the holiday. Herbs are nice because you can keep them on your counter. They're not the traditional houseplant that people think of, but you can grow them indoors also, and they make great gifts. Mm -hmm. And circling back to the cyclamen, I'm so glad that you mentioned the dormancy that they go into because so many people get those beautiful cyclamen around the holiday or in the winter time. And then they kind of die back in, I would say around April or so inside your house. They're they're pretty much done. Yeah. And then they, they will spring back. You just don't, you know, don't keep watering them or soaking them and rotting them but just, you know, cut back on the watering and then all of a sudden they'll leaf out again, mm-hmm. usually around, I think, September or so. Yeah. Start looking at it at the end of August and mm-hmm. um, start watering it again and giving it some fertilizer and putting it in more light because I normally suggest putting your cyclamen in a, in a room that you don't go very often during the summertime, just so that it can just do its thing. So you don't have the urge to water it or something like that. And um, yeah. And then, and then, they, they'll spring right back up and then you get more for your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a cyclamen that I rescued from a, a dollar gar- a bench at a garden center and it was pretty much dead looking. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and, but it's been, it comes back every year. It's been three or four years and now it's, it's reblooming right now. So it's, oh, nice. it's a really rewarding plant. Yeah. We'll start selling them shortly. They're budded right now. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they'll start here getting out on the tables for sale here shortly. And then another, I was going to say another popular holiday plant is the Thanksgiving cactus or the Christmas cactus. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, those live for years. We have people who have their great grandmothers and um, cactus that those are the type that get passed down from generation to generation. They're really nice. Very popular too. And they're, they've done a lot of, um, I don't know. I, lot of genetics on them because now they're coming in different colors and mm-hmm. really pretty yeah and there's an nice. easter form too which is more just it's the spring yeah. blooming form yeah and, and cactus are really popular right now so that would be a great suggestion for giving um as a gift because cactus are very popular and it, they take the same care um, mm-hmm and they're so easy to take, I was going to say for the Christmas cactus, they're so easy to take cuttings from and to propagate. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I have tons of friends who, who give cuttings like every year of their great grandmother's cactus. And it's nice. It's a very nice sentimental gift because you do end up getting attached to these plants over years. I don't know what I'm like my husband with the half dead poinsettia on our kitchen <laughs> counter. Yeah. May, maybe you can let that one go for a fresh I'm hoping. this year. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> and, and so you said you're a big fan of, of foliage and houseplants versus flowers. What are your favorites for like a variegated foliage look or really jungle look to put together? Uh, Diffenbachias are awesome. So easy to care for. And they give you the huge leaf. They come in, uh, I think, Mary Ann is a variety. Tiki is a variety. And then you can get um, like, I think it's the tri. No, that's an aglanemia. But they're so easy. And they give you big leaves, big exotic, that jungle vibe that everybody's going for. Definitely go with a Diffenbachia. Um, aglanemas are another nice one. They're a little bit trickier. They like to actually be on the drier side. Um, but they give you, and they come in um, the reds and the chartreuse, and they give you the wild colors. I love those. And philodendrons. Oh my gosh, don't get me started on philodendrons. The giganticum gives you that massive leaf. Um, Hope is a nice one. It just looks like it. They, somebody just dug it up in the jungle and, and put it in your living room. And I'm a sucker for the domino a uh, peace lily, which is beautiful. That's another one. The peace lily is nice if you're looking for a flowering um, plant. Super easy to grow. And they have the domino and then they have the pinstripe. So they do come in different varieties if you're looking for something different. The philodendron is such a huge um, category that you could just go crazy in that one for days. And I love bromeliads. Um, those are nice too because I, it's the texture and it's the shape that... I like, and they're super easy too. So I, I don't think I have a favorite. I think I like them all, but for different <laughs> reasons. Yeah. And that's a true houseplant lover when you can't choose a favorite. Yeah. Like I don't have a favorite plan either. I, I just love them all. And for the bromeliads, they do have that flower spike, but you know, the rest of the year you get that beautiful foliage on them. Yeah, that foliage. And and that's one that can go outside and inside. It's not really prone to bugs too much. So it's super easy to, to keep that alive for years. Hmm. And that does bring up um, some of the issues that you could have on houseplants. So like um, either a fungal issue or little insects or white fly. What do you recommend, especially for a white fly? That's a, that's a question I hear a lot. Um, air circulation, put a fan in your room, uh, cut that, watch your watering, make sure that there isn't any stagnant water in the bottom of your pots. Um, but mostly air circulation, maybe, uh, open your window once a week to let the air in and, and, and to clean out, you know, the stagnant air. But other than that, yeah, some of them are prone, especially mealybugs. Mealybug is my nemesis. When something gets mealybug, because I don't use chemicals here, I, I just toss it. It's not worth trying to neem it. You can use neem oil or soapy water and stuff like that. But I normally, I'm just like, uh-uh, out of here. Get out of here. So, but yeah, mostly if you do have a problem, see if you can find something organic. Because the houseplants are really tender and they are susceptible to burn. They, some of the plants, they don't like the, chem, the strong chemicals and it can have a, a negative effect on them. Anything organic. 
Yeah, and I think if you start to see a yellowing leaf, people start to panic. So what does that indicate to you usually when you see that, Louisa? Uh, that could be one of so many things. It could just be that the leaf is done and it naturally turned yellow, cut it off. And um, my first thing would be cut it off and see if more leaves turn yellow. Because it could be lack of fertilizer. It could be overwatering, underwatering. Or it could just be that, you know, we shed our skin every day. It just going to, the leaf is just done and it's going to put out new growth. You really just have to look and see. There's a, you really just have to alleviate all of the things until you can find what is actually causing it. Mm -hmm. So don't panic. No, no, don't panic. Don't panic. Cut off the leaf first, get rid of it. And sometimes like if it's a palm and just the few leaves are um, getting some temper, you can just cut off the leaves on the palm. Don't cut off the whole stem and just, just monitor it for a while and see if it's turning more. And if it is, um, always look and see if your plant has a strong smell to it. If it does, you can smell the rot. If you can smell it, it's an overwatering problem. And then uh, let it dry out if that's the problem. Don't water it for a few days. Sometimes you have to actually uh, repot it in new soil because the soil is so saturated that it would literally, by the time the soil dried out, your plant would be dead. So if it's truly saturated and you have like green uh, fungus growing on the top, I would suggest repotting it in new potting soil and, and see if that is the problem. But yeah, you can smell that one. So follow your nose. Follow your nose. And yeah. <laughs> and I was going to say one thing I've noticed, especially when you buy houseplants in the colder time of year, and you're bringing essentially what's a tropical, you know, plant maybe from the equator uh, home during the winter time, and it gets exposed to those, those freezing temps for a few hours just on the car ride home or something that you can immediately have a little bit of a leaf drop just from that change in situation going from your greenhouse home. That is um, because you're taking it from one environment to another. So it takes a while for it to get acclimated. So mm -hmm. that should be, especially in the wintertime, not so much in the summertime, but definitely yeah. in the wintertime, especially if you're taking it from a greenhouse that has been taking care of it every day. Yeah. But they normally bounce back. They'll bounce back. Mm -hmm. don't, don't fret too much. Yeah. So I would say if it initially is doing some drop of leaves or something, when you bring it in, it could just be that I would call it transplant shock, but it's more like moving shock Yeah, going home. And do you have any tips for getting a tropical houseplant home in the wintertime and protecting it? Um, well, they suggest putting, uh, getting more humidity into your into your house and you can use grow lights. I'm not um, too familiar with the grow lights, so I don't have one that I should could suggest. Um, but I know people put down the pebble trays with the water in it and that helps with the humidity. You could get a humidifier. Um, basically, and most plants want to be drier in the wintertime because they are going dormant. They don't need the care that they had in the summertime. And if you have a problem, Google. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot stress that enough because no. you can ask Google at 11 o'clock at night. I'm not going to answer you at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> so if you have in the middle of the night craziness, uh, yeah. don't, don't call Louisa, but yeah, but she'll be happy to talk to you at other times. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And call your local garden center and we'll walk you through, but some stay with the easy plants. You can get a humidifier. Um, you can get a grow lights, especially because the sun 
is strong, but you're not getting as much sun in the, and especially at a different slant angle. So that grow lights would be a, a good investment if you do have a lot of house plants. And so you and I are both uh, pet parents and plant parents. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about having house plants in a household with cats and dogs. Oh, yes. How do you protect them from each other? Well, depending on your cat, if your cat is an eater or your dog is an eater, I say don't even add that to the mix. Do your, um, don't get the toxic plants. There are lots of plants that are cat safe, like, and dog safe, like spider plants and the parlor palm, uh, calatheas are good, peperomias, African violets, bromeliads, um, Venus flytraps, the prayer plant, which is really popular. There's tons of plants that are safe that you can pick from and just don't even, because I love my, I would probably sacrifice a plant over my pet any day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would say African violets are a great choice because I have those in my bedroom yeah. windowsill and they are being used right now as cat pillows. <laughs> <laughs> they just put, they break off the flowers, but they love that texture to, for just laying oh, yeah. down on, even or though they're chewers. Can, um get them their own plant. A lot of places are selling the cat grass mm -hmm. and just give them their own plant and keep, if you want them more, uh, you know, you're in love with a, a certain plant, put it in your bedroom or put it up high where they cannot get it. You just don't want that to happen. And I, I do take that very seriously. And sometimes I do forget which one is which. So I will, somebody will ask me, is this dog safe? And I always want to give them 100% true answer so they will see me googling because i cannot remember mm -hmm. all of it so. and i was going to say that a you know a glass case like a wardian case or a yes, dome yes. depending it's on your household obviously if you have a large dog that would knock over the glass that's not safe either yeah so but stick with the safe ones and then um then venture out into the mm -hmm. other ones and that's a great idea to give them a decoy plant, a, a pet safe plant that they could chew a couple things on and leave the others alone. Yeah, especially if you have like um, like cat mint or, or something like that. They'll hone in on that in an instant. Mm -hmm. and they'll, be, they'll be too drugged to climb up to get to other stuff. <laughs> they will drugged and they'll be fine. You could always give them a few, uh, you know, dried cat, cat mint leaves. Yeah, to, to roll and toys and, and stuff like that. I mean, my cats go ever. My husband came with cats. We have like six cats. So it's kind of hard to find a room that is not mm -hmm. ruled by a cat. Yeah. <laughs> there's dog. no such thing as cat proofing in my world. No. <laughs> so um, for some maybe challenging houseplants like orchids or that sort of thing, what do you think is the next level or the next trend coming uh, in the houseplant world? Actually, the next trend are slipper orchids oh. and, and and slipper orchids are they're usually generally shorter they don't have that long tall you know what i love orchids you know why once a week okay you're gonna think i'm crazy with my house plants once a week i even do it to the plants here i think the plants miss the feeling of water on their leaves hmm. because they're from jungles i know i'm weird but once a week that's what i said earlier write down have a schedule I take my orchids and I give them a bath, you know, I soak them in water, not very long, maybe a minute or two. And I wipe off their leaves. Yes. You do need to wipe off your leaves and dust your house plants so that they can continue to do their science thing for you. 
and purify the air. Mm-hmm. You do need to dust them. But yeah, I give them a bath and then I put them back. And then in the summertime, I basically ignore them because I'm busy. And when the nights, I get, you know, the days are shorter now. So I'm home earlier so I can give them a bath. They're so easy to take care of. You can abuse them. And then and when they bloom, you just wash them and <laughs> give them their bath. Nice. So for the, and the slipper orchids, they're, definitely on the more expensive side they are yeah. they are but they are so beautiful they are but you know the regular orchids that you can get at costco's and you have to be a real orchid aficionado before you would spend like have you ever gone to um homestead's orchid extravaganza mm-hmm. oh all of the orchid societies get together oh it's amazing if you're just, just go to Costco or you can come here, just, you know, get an orchid and, and it's just, they're beautiful and their flowers last so long. I think that's one that you definitely get your 18 to $30 back just oh, yes. in the joy yeah. that you, from getting them. Definitely. Yeah. And we, if you're super into orchids, definitely attend a orchid society meeting where oh, yes. people are giving tips and trading plants and, and having orchid auctions so you can get really crazy about them. Oh, yeah. And look into Holmes, Homestead's orchid. I think I don't remember when it is. I think it's it's winter because mm-hmm. of January, I think, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll look that up and try to share that. Yeah, that is definitely a go-to. It's beautiful. And go to Longwood Gardens if you're going to venture into orchids in their orchid display. Mm -hmm. And that's usually around February, March each year at Longwood Gardens in Pennsylvania. Yeah, definitely go there. Beautiful. So there's a couple other houseplants I was going to ask about that maybe you're not a big fan of. Like, uh, how about ones that like have pointy sharp tips like crown of thorns or agave how do you feel about those (laughs) Uh, don't ask me about agave (laughs) (laughs) i have a whole house full of succulents i uh, succulents were really popular but five years ago i don't know time i don't know what day it is i but it was a while ago so i have a whole house full of succulents um, that I've been propagating for years. And I was just in there the other day cleaning the agaves. And like, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> Go with a mangavi. The ones that look like an agave, but it's a it's a cross between a manfredi, I can't pronounce it, and an agave. You get the look of the big leaves, but no spikes. Yeah, so much better for a household, especially if you have small children or you keep poking yourself when you're cleaning the plants. Yeah. And those, um, like the bunny ear cactus. Oh my gosh. Those thorns just get on you. They're beautiful, but that's for a certain person. Mm -hmm. And that person is not me. (laughs) Yeah. Thorny plants can be an issue. And then the other side of the spectrum are the beautiful ferns. And that's one maybe we can wrap up with. We haven't talked a little bit about ferns. So rabbit's foot ferns with that really fun. Oh, they live for years too. I would stay away. If you're new to it, I would stay away with like the Boston ferns and the ones that drop their flower, their leaves in the wintertime, just because there's just such a mess. They're beautiful in the summertime out on your front porch where you don't see them, but stick with ones like, um, staghorn ferns and all of the bird nest ferns and the rabbit foot any that 
that have the bigger leaves. Those are good. Um, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of those, especially if you have a low light windowsill situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they can take low light. They can take a little extra moisture. They can. Maiden in your ferns are so pretty, but they do tend to be a more high maintenance. Um, they do need their water. I actually put those in a dish here and bottom water them just mm -hmm. so that they can get enough. But you have to check it. You know, sometimes you have to dry them out. And can you say that name again? Um, the the maiden hair ferns. Oh, the maiden hair ferns. Okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, any final houseplant advice? Um, definitely get on board with the houseplants. It's so fun, and they really start at all uh, price points and all levels. Um, know how much commitment you want to go in and do it because it is a fun. And then you can buy the accessories. You can buy the, the cute little pots that go with it and the hanging, the macrame hanging. It's really is it, um, houseplants right now are a huge crossover into decor and home decorating. So they're being used as home decor. I mean, just look on Pinterest or any of those and you'll know. But yeah, definitely get into it. Know where you want to start. Um, a lot of these people, they need to know their budgets. <laughs> and um, yeah, just go for it. Come and talk to your local garden center. If you are just starting out, I would suggest going to a garden center versus the big box stores just because you're going to get the knowledge that comes with it. And we will, we are here to help you. They're, they're just turning, they're, they just want to turn over, you know, <laughs> they're just clinging to the latest fad. Exactly. Thank you, Louisa, because, uh, you know, that personal service and help and that hand holding in the beginning is so essential. It is, it is because each plan is different and you, you want to succeed. We want our customers to succeed. Great. And how can people contact you? So follow us on Facebook or Instagram. It's Thanksgiving Farms. We're the one in Adamstown, Maryland. Definitely like us and follow us on that because that's where I put all of the updates, all of our classes and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And we'll get that up in the in the show notes so people can find you directly there because I know you're pretty active and you're answering questions and interacting people. Yes. And I do answer the questions at 11 o'clock at night because I have no life. <laughs> <laughs> the plants are in the garden center are my life so yep. well i can tell that i can tell your love of plants louisa and thank you so much for joining us oh it was an honor thank you for inviting me this episode is brought to you by bumble so you want to find someone you're compatible with specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection totally open to having kids in the future is a tall rock climbing libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on tuesdays just as much as you do bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you so whatever it is you're looking for bumble's features can help you find it date now on bumble Tatarian Aster Plant Profile Tatarian Aster, Aster Tatericus, is a tall perennial that is hardy to zones 3 to 9. The lavender-colored flowers bloom from September into October. This aster is not native to the United States. Instead, it originates in Asia, as the name indicates. It can reach 6 feet high or more, and is best planted at the back of a border or along a wall. 
It is very sturdy and does not normally require staking. Jindai is a dwarf cultivar from Japan that stays about three feet tall. And another short cultivar is Blue Lake, which has lighter blue flowers. This plant is not picky about soil types and grows best in full sun. It doesn't mind high heat and humidity. After a few years, it will spread to form a colony. It can easily be dug, divided, and shared in spring. Tatarian aster is a pollinator favorite. It is also deer resistant. It can suffer from fungal diseases that make the lower foliage unattractive, but that won't kill this tough plant. Tatarian aster, you can grow that. What's new in the garden this week? Well, we've gotten a couple heavy rain days, so it's pretty soggy out there. And once it starts to dry out a bit, we're gonna pull our tomatoes and peppers and put in our garlic. And back in my home garden, we'll be putting in our spring blooming bulbs. And speaking of bulbs, they're starting to go on sale at local garden centers. So check with your local independent garden centers um, they're starting to mark them down as it's starting to get to be the end of the time for planting them. So check out the selection near you. And a couple of events I wanted to call your attention to. One is at Homestead Gardens in Davidsonville, Maryland. They are having their holiday preview party on Friday, November 5th from 6 to 9 p.m. And that's always a fun occasion and great way to jump off the holiday season also happening locally at green spring gardens in virginia they are doing a garden talk on cacti and succulents so if you didn't get enough discussion of houseplants and cacti and succulents in today's episode check out that class it's 12 dollars per person you can register online through fairfaxcounty.gov um, the parks division a uh, free talk coming up is being sponsored by the Potomac Rose Society, and that's Sunday, November 21st from 2 to 4 p.m., preparing your roses for winter, and then an open ask your garden questions of a master rosarian session. So that is taking place virtually online, and you can sign up for free at the potomacrose.org website under their events tab. And then a couple dates to save on your calendar and prepare for. Our magazine, Washington Gardener, is hosting our annual seed exchanges this winter on Saturday, January 29th at Brookside Gardens, and then Saturday, February 5th at Green Spring Gardens. So save those dates in the calendar. We'll be putting up registration information soon. And while you're preparing for that, you might start going through your seeds and collecting seeds from your plants outdoors and labeling them and packaging them in anticipation of both of those seed exchange events. Happy gardening! Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month 
by going to anchor.fm slash gardendc slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.